Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. And God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. For some people, it's hard for them to understand how Jesus can be healer when they don't have adequate access to health care. For some, it's hard for them to understand how Jesus can be provider when their communities lack economic provision. For others, it is hard for them to understand how people can claim to love them but not care about their lives. It feels like a paradox. You heard it again just a few moments ago. Stay curious. Think well. And advance good. That's the mission of Q. Hi, I'm Paul Perot, and this is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. The key aspect of staying curious is listening, reading, understanding what others have on their hearts and minds, listening freely, including maybe especially on topics that are hard, even contentious. Gabe, from the get go, over 16 years ago now, when you founded Q, You have talked with, you've listened to, and helped others listen to speakers and engage in hard topics. We just love engaging in topics and conversations that are so important that could get overlooked, or you might miss them if you're just paying attention to social media or you're paying attention to a one-second, one-minute, 30-second clip, TikTok, wherever you're getting content these days. These talks now seem long. Nine minutes. I mean, that's a long talk these days. It's a lot to listen to. I'm kind of being facetious. But in reality, it is hard to pay attention these days to some of these conversations and talks. And so we're grateful for you as leaders because you know how important it is that we gain perspective, that we learn from other people, that we continue to improve the ways in which we're seeing the world. And today's going to be no different. We're getting to hear from Tyler Burns and the conversation and talk that he gave for us is called the gift of the black Christian experience. And of course, February is black history month. And again, Gabe, the African-American experience and listening to the voices of our black Christian brothers and sisters has been important to Q and not just during black history month. It has been a topic at many Q events like last year's culture summit, where Tyler's message, as well as another message we'll hear came from. If you go to the Q Media platform at qideas.org, there's quite a playlist of talks around race for those who want to listen well and engage in this topic more deeply. And if you're not a subscriber to the Q Media platform, remember you can request a free 30-day trial subscription at qideas.org. Now, Gabe, before we get to Tyler's talk, let's listen to another talk from last year's Culture Summit. Let's hear another experience from a young African-American artist who talked about the cycle of inaction. Gabe, what does that mean? It means how many times do we get fired up about a particular issue, a subject, a topic, maybe a current event that happens that you get passionate about? And and, and on the justice front, because you know it's wrong and it needs to be confronted, needs to be exposed, needs to be talked about. But all we do is a post on social media and we think we've done something. We want to address what does that mean? What does that look like, especially in a younger generation where social media has become such a way to communicate, such a way to show alignment with certain movements and people and hashtags and so on and so forth. You know, there used to be this term slacktivism that 
we talked about with the millennial generation, where it was this idea of activism, not really doing much, but maybe saying we care about the issue, but it doesn't always show up in our time or our money. And in the new Gen Z generation, they want to deal with that. They want to have a real conversation about what would it look like for us to get active and to not just talk, but actually put our money where our mouth is. And so today you're going to hear a powerful talk from an incredible artist and activist, Danielle Koch. Now she's young. She's in her young 20s. And she is someone who is a beautiful person. And you're going to hear that. You're going to hear this in her heart as it beats so strongly for people to really live what they've been called to do and to be faithful in every possible way. What's so cool about Danielle is as an artist in early 2020, she began creating some images. And it was in the wake of what was happening in our country around George Floyd. It was in the context of people asking questions about race and trying to learn and understand. And Danielle came along and started using her artistic gift to put out incredible statements of information, of education, of knowledge, of mobilization. And she did it in such a beautiful way on her Instagram account that all of a sudden, hundreds of thousands of people started following her and started wanting more of it. You can follow her on Instagram at oh happy Danny, it's spelled O-H-O, happy Danny, spelled D-A-N-I. I would encourage you to do that. See what it is that she has been creating in her conversation she's been leading through social media over the past many years. But more than that, at Q Ideas, what we wanted to talk about at the Culture Summit was how many people followed, but then did nothing. There's a sense of performing, a sense of not really embracing the issue, but just wanting to promote yourself as an ally. And what would it mean for us to go deeper than just being an ally, but really being a part of a movement that creates change? Let's listen in now to Danny's perspective. On January 6th, 2021, I remember being on the phone with my mom while watching the news as insurrectionists stormed the United States Capitol. I remember sobbing on the phone with her, not because I was shocked or confused by what was going on, but because the whole ordeal, and honestly, the whole year, had rendered me speechless. I couldn't form many thoughts or find many words to describe how it was all affecting me, a 25-year-old black woman of faith living in America. But me being speechless might not be a particularly notable thing to mention if it wasn't for the kind of work that I do. As Gabriel mentioned, I am Danielle Koch, and I am an activist and illustrator from Atlanta, Georgia. And I aim to use art and words to take complex ideas and make them more digestible and easier to understand for the everyday person. My current work focuses on anti-racism, hope, and empathy, and through illustrated art and infographics, my goal has been to encourage faith, inspire justice, and help good people become better neighbors. But this time, on January 6th, 2021, after sobbing on the phone with my mom, trying to figure out what to say or draw or do, I had nothing. You see, I was experiencing a very unique sense of frustration, not only because as a nation, it seemed that we were consistently finding ourselves dealing with blow after blow of painful injustice, but also because after each instance, it seemed like we were going in circles. There'd be an outcry on social media, right? And then pastors would try to find a way to briefly mention what was going on in their sermons and then brands would do these huge gestures of solidarity on social media. And then 
nothing. We'd move on and we'd forget until it happens again. And after a year of George Floyd's and Breonna Taylor's and Ahmaud Arbery's, I was starting to really feel the weight of all of this. And the cycle was starting to take its toll on me. So I sat down and started writing out what all of this felt like to me. And I named this cycle, the cycle of inaction. Here's how it goes. So a horrific injustice takes place. And in this context, for clarity, I'm specifically referring to injustices that are rooted in systemic racism and white supremacy. Then there's widespread shock and confusion as though we're unaware or we've forgotten that we're dealing with the fruit of seeds that were sown in racism and hatred. And then whether triggered by pressure online or by witnessing the distress of our neighbors, we have an emotional response, right? And that can range from anger to empathy to devil's advocacy. And we can all agree that the internet is a hot mess for a while, right? And as a result, many of us tumble into performative allyship and we post the posts and we say that we're doing the work, but in reality, let's be honest, many of us aren't really doing much of anything at all. So guilt and fatigue show up, leading to inaction and passivity and resulting in apathy. But the truth is none of us want it to be this way. As followers of Jesus, we desperately want to see good triumph over evil, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly, to fully embody that radical agape, unconditional love that always trusts and hopes and protects and perseveres, to fully love God and in turn fully love each other. We all want that. But the truth of the matter is, although we know that we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, we don't always know how to do them. How do we bridge the gap between good intentions and good work from inaction to action? I believe that the key is to make the work personal. It's asking God to help us do that hard work so we can in turn be focused on the homework. It's finding the intersection of our passions, our skill sets, and perceived needs that we see in the world and using all of that to guide us towards fulfilling our present purpose, what we were called to do on this earth right here and now. It's being both heavenly minded and earthly good. We know that we live in a fallen and broken world. This should not be shocking to any of us, but rather it should serve as a constant reminder that we have to always be ready to do those hard and holy things, not just with our words and our thoughts and our social media posts, but with our deeds, with self-education, learning how to hold space, leaning into empathy, working towards equity locking arms with each other instead of fighting against each other, using our God-given gifts to make this work personal. And when we live our lives with this posture, we know that we'll always be ready to spring into action, not only when evil shows up again, because it will, but in every single moment in between. So after meditating on all of these truths, I sat down. It's still January 6, 2021. And... I made amendments to the cycle, calling it the cycle of action. And hopefully this serves as a reminder for all of us that when horrific injustice takes place, 
We won't be overtaken by shock and confusion as if the fruit of systemic oppression is surprising, but instead our emotional response will be marked by empathy and compassion, leading to a rejection of performative allyship in exchange for the real, vigorous work. And should guilt and fatigue try to settle in, we'll recenter the needs of those yearning for liberation, remembering that inaction and passivity are detrimental to justice and that apathy is the antithesis of unconditional love. Last summer, when the weight of this conversation started to get really, really heavy for me, I sat down and I wrote a poem and I entitled it, Good Work. And I used it to inspire and encourage myself and hopefully it can do the same for all of you today. It goes like this. You were created to do good work. Work that empowers and inspires, liberates and transforms, restores and softens. Yes, work can be hard as it was meant to be. The verb itself calls us into action, rejecting passivity and demanding sustained effort. It provokes and agitates and disturbs. But this work, this call for justice, is good work. It defends the oppressed and frees the captive. It tears down walls and destroys barriers. It changes things. So when you're feeling weary or hopeless, or spent, remind yourself that the darkness is being flooded by marvelous light. Yes, this is work, and it is good. The good news is that the darkness has already been flooded by that marvelous light, right? And God is illuminating the path before us already. But it is our responsibility to take those steps and walk in that light. We hold in each hand two of the holiest tasks. The great commission to make disciples, and the greatest commandment to love. May we resolve to do both for the glory of God and the good of our neighbor. Well, I hope you were moved by hearing Danny Cope to share with us her story, her journey, her heart for this. I thought her words that apathy is the antithesis of unconditional love is penetrating. We can't just sit back and do nothing. It doesn't really show our love to not take action. Mm, so true. Well, this is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio for the third weekend of Black History Month. And Danielle is right. Action is necessary. We need to break out of the cycle of inaction. But if the actions are going to be good and right, we also need to, as we say, stay curious and think well, and then advance good to get into action. So backing up to the first part of that staying curious, that brings us back to listening. And that brings us back, Gabe, to the talk we teased at the start of the show from Tyler Burns from The Witness, who is going to share with us about the black experience. And to share it in a way that helps us all think well about this month, about what it means to be a person of faith, to be black, to enter into better understanding the perspective that some of our black Christian friends are coming from, and we might not always get to hear it. Tyler is the president of The Witness. It's a black Christian collective that engages in religion, race, justice, and culture from a biblical perspective. He also is a co-host of Pass the Mic with Jamar Tisby and a lead pastor at All Nations Pensacola. So let's listen in now to Tyler Burns. So nephew, tell me something. That's how the conversation began. I'll never forget my Auntie Violet, 
leaning over our kitchen island and asking me this question at a family reunion over 13 years ago. I can remember it like it was yesterday. She asked, you go to a Christian school, don't you? I politely said, yes, ma'am. And she said, so nephew, tell me something. What does your Christian education teach you about black people? Now, luckily for her and for everyone else, I had read five books that year. And so I was more than qualified to speak about the weightier matters of life, right? I'm educated. I am all of 19 years old. I know the way the world works. And so I leaned back and in took my auntie's question. And then I tilted my head to the side. I smiled in an affirming, if not condescending way, looked at my immediate family members and said, I got this. And then I proceeded to give my perspective, which wasn't much of a perspective at all. And then my auntie, I'll never forget, she listened patiently, tilted her head to the side and smiled too, but not in an affirming or condescending way. She smiled with that look that one of your family members gives when you're in trouble. And I didn't realize that I was in a little bit of trouble. She continued the question. She said, nephew, what does your Christian school teach you about how to treat the poor because the Bible says a lot about how we should treat the poor, right? Nephew, what does your Christian school talk and say about the criminal justice system because justice doesn't seem like it's reserved for us? Nephew, how does your Christian school talk about the Obamas and their family? Nephew, what do you do with the least of these? Because I thought Jesus said that if you care for the least of these, you're caring for him. And the questions came one after the other, and I was reminded that no one can concretize a concept quite like black women can, and they came for what seemed like an eternity, and I had no answers for them. For the first time in my 19 years of living, I was forced to confront the seemingly contradictory condition of being black and Christian. Now, to be clear, I was born black, grew up black in a black family, and was introduced to Jesus at an early age. But sometimes in the life of black Christians, we must confront this reality that Tom Skinner talks about. Tom Skinner once wrote that a black Christian and a black non-Christian will live in the same world and face the same exploitation. Being fully black and being fully Christian sometimes feels like a bit of a paradox. It's strange, especially in this cultural moment. At The Witness, we have the privilege of meeting thousands of black Christians every single year. And they are navigating this reality of what it means to be in the middle of the paradox of being fully black and fully Christian. And yes, some of the conversations are what you might imagine. We talk about the unaddressed consequences of white supremacy in this country. That's a worthy conversation, but that's not all we talk about. You know black people can talk about more than just race, right? That's not all we talk about. We also talk about the paradox, and for some people it's hard for them to understand how Jesus can be healer when they don't have adequate access to health care. For some, it's hard for them to understand how Jesus can be provider when their communities lack economic provision. For others, it is hard for them to understand how people can claim to love them but not care about their lives. It feels like a paradox. Now, the good thing and the good news for us is that we are not the first or the only group to have faced this paradox. The Bible is filled with people who had to operate and navigate seemingly contradictory identities. 
Ask Moses what it's like to be born of Hebrew heritage and be under Egyptian acculturation. Ask the Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what it's like to be removed from your land and oppressed and persecuted for real. Ask Esther what it's like to stand in between your people and the palace of power. You know who else we should ask? We should also ask our Latin American brothers and sisters what it feels like to be ignored. We should also ask our AAPI family what it feels like to be rendered invisible. We should also ask our First Nation indigenous people what it feels like to be forgotten. We're not the only people who have dealt with this, but we are just acquainted with the pain and grief. There is pain in the paradox of being fully black and fully Christian. Well, I figured that what I should do is I should go and find out my auntie's questions. I should find out answers to those questions. And I searched in all the typical places and I could not find any answers. I searched my Christian education and curriculum and no black people were present there. I searched the family Christian bookstores and all kinds of different chains and I couldn't find any black people there that were answering these questions. And I even searched the Christian conferences and they weren't even asking this question. And then I kept looking, and I came across some people who have navigated the same experience. I realized that the only people who can answer the questions are the people who have lived in the same experience. And I found a cavalcade. I found a list of black Christians who were navigating the paradox and who had done so far earlier than I was even thought of. I found names like Gardner Taylor and Henry Mitchell, Prathia Hall and Fannie Lou Hamer and Vashti McKenzie. And I said, why does the church not know about these names? Because if anyone can navigate the paradox, it's them. They know what it's like to be in the midst of being fully black and fully Christian. Why doesn't the church center black voices? Can the church talk about black issues without centering voices? And I'm not just talking about on a stage. What about our theology? What about our leadership? What about our ecclesiology? Black people can talk about science and psychology, economics and politics. We can talk about anything, race included, but why don't we see us present? Why are our voices not centered? And when you're in the midst of the pain of the paradox, you find something out being a black Christian. And it's something that Frederick Douglass, a man who many of you may have heard of, found out in the late 1800s. Francis Grimke tells the story of of Frederick Douglass, and he's at this group of black Christian leaders. And he's talking with the pain of what it means to be in the paradox of black and Christian. He's saying, why hasn't God freed the enslaved Africans? Why hasn't God ended slavery yet? Why hasn't God brought us into full equality? Why? Hasn't God delivered us? And he was going on and on. The mythical figure was taking off his armor. And then a a black woman by the name of Sojourner Truth, she stands up and interrupts him with the rhetorical question that changes the atmosphere of the room. She says, Frederick, is God dead? And the room was silent, just as you are silent right now. As they considered the weight of this question, And here's the thing about being black and Christian in the midst of a paradox. Yes, there's pain there. But if you ask any black Christian, are we alone? We would say no. Why? Because God is not dead. Just because we're in the midst of pain doesn't mean that Jesus is not in the pain with us. Here's the truth. When we were in the paradox, we found that Jesus met us in the pain of our paradox. And Jesus addressed our pain, but he also gave us power. This is the Jesus who can stand at the dead grave of his friend Lazarus and declare, I am the resurrection and the life. This is the Jesus who can shed tears and speak to the tomb. This is the Jesus who says, my God, my God, why has you forsaken me? And into your hands. I commit my spirit. This is the Jesus who met us, and this is the black Christian tradition. We can stand up and say, 
like an Alabama preacher stood up on an April evening in Memphis, I may not get there with you, but I know that we as a people will get to the promised land. Like black women at the Montgomery bus boycott said, my feet is tired, but my soul is rested. See, in black Christian tradition, we can be prayerful and prophetic. We can be weeping and dancing. We can push for joy and justice. We can say we're not all right, but we gonna be all right. As black Christians, we can say that the night may be dark, but the morning is sure to come. It's a paradox, but we found power there. And I invite you to center black voices because you'll find pain, but not just pain, you'll find power. And even if you don't, we'll continue. We'll continue to say that black lives matter to God. We'll continue to raise the banner. We will continue so our sons can be safe, so our daughters can be free. And so maybe the next time my aunt asks me a question, I can give a better answer. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed listening to Tyler. I mean, such an inspiring communicator, such heartfelt words. And when he concludes and says, in black Christian tradition, we can be prayerful and prophetic. We can be weeping and dancing. We can push for joy and justice. It's such an encouragement. And I know over these last few years, several of my African-American friends, we've had this conversation that there's a lot of people that haven't experienced maybe the suffering, haven't experienced some of the, the ways in which people might feel more oppressed today who aren't just black, but maybe are white and are going through a different type of experience and feeling like a minority, maybe as Christian folks and leaders feeling a little bit like the views we hold don't hold up as well in society. People don't like them as much. And that there's so much we can learn from our Christian brothers and sisters who are African-American who've walked a path historically where they have always felt this type of oppression. They've always felt like they are the minority. They've always felt like they've had a bigger uphill climb than other people and yet have done it with being prayerful, with being prophetic, with weeping and dancing, but they've done it with joy. And if you have never been around an African-American group of friends, a community, a church, the joy that emanates is just beautiful and it's breathtaking. And I think for all of us, we can learn so much by just better understanding the history and the story and encourages all of us that this is the way in which we live, no matter what we come against, no matter what is before us, even if we don't understand it and didn't deserve it, we can understand that we must be people of joy. So thank you, Tyler, for sharing this word with us. I hope you have a wonderful week. This program is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.